for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. May God once more bless the reading of his own holy word to our understanding. Now, on these recent Sunday mornings, we have been drawing near to the conclusion of a very long series of expositions and explanations of the fascinating book of Ecclesiastes. And last Sunday morning, we began to look at the important 11th chapter of this amazing and startling book together as we saw the counsel of Ecclesiastes to live life to the full to go for it, to find prosperity under God's good hand in a world that God has so often marked by sheer futility and emptiness. And the way in which we are to do this is to recognize that the abilities and the goods and the wealth and the opportunity that God himself has given to us are all divine gifts of which we are the stewards. And we saw, moreover, that Ecclesiastes' wise advice was confirmed, moreover, by that far greater wise man of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you remember in the parable of the talents, reprimanded the man who took his single talent and buried it in the ground, afraid to use it. And Jesus said to him, you should at least have given it to the bankers that at my coming I might have received it again together with the interest that had accrued upon it. And so part of our commitment, my dear friends, to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we belong to God, is to live life to the full for his glory, to cast our bread as we saw upon the waters, to sow our seed in the morning and in the evening, not to hold back our hand. But the question immediately arises, and it is this, if life is so fleeting and so futile, as we have seen all through this book, so quickly passing away, what use are the gifts of God if we do not have a measure of life to use these gifts? and to put them to use to the full for the glory of God. And so that's why the first six verses of chapter 11 lead in to the last four verses, 7 through 10, and into the first verse of chapter 12. Ecclesiastes is forcing us to consider God's greatest gift of all, the stewardship of which is the most important stewardship of all the gift of life. And that's why in verses 7 through 10 and into the first verse of chapter 12, we're looking at life and youth especially. And in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which is next Sunday morning's portion, we're looking at old age. So first the beginning of the process, and then the ending of the process. These are remarkable passages, not only for their poetical beauty, 
which is simply outstanding, as you must have noticed in the reading this morning, but because of their practical application. As though Ecclesiastes is standing before us and saying in these lovely verses, God has given you time. How are you using it? God has given you life as the very building blocks for eternity to come. How are you spending your life? Is it a stepping stone to eternity? Or is it a stumbling block in the way to eternity? How are you living your life this morning? I'm reminded of the lovely couplet as we begin this study and exposition together that I memorized many years ago as a young man. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and ordinary folk like you and me are builders for eternity and each is given a bag of tools an hourglass and a book of rules, and each must build ere his time has flown a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And that is the message of this passage. Is your life this morning a stepping stone into the welcome presence of God at the end of it? Or is it a stumbling block in the way to your achieving an eternity of happiness and bliss. And so there are three themes that stand out like sharp staccato invitations and warnings from these verses that we read a few moments ago. Rejoice, reflect, remember. And we want to look at each one of these in turn. Now I want to tell you that I'm going to spend the most time on the first and less time on the second and the third. I want you to notice in verses 7 through the beginning of verse 9 and again in verse 10 that there is a wonderful exhortation and invitation to rejoice in the life that God has given you. It's the first way in which, Ecclesiastes says, we can make life a stepping stone to that greater life, not a stumbling block within it. And you notice the lovely phrases that we read together. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Be happy, young man. While you are young, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see. Or verse 10, banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. What quite remarkable counsel. Now, I say it's remarkable, you know, for several reasons. One of them is that this is the advice of an old man. You remember Ecclesiastes is not a young sprigling. He's a man of ripe, mature judgment, ending out his days, looking down the avenues of life as we've so often seen, examining every aspect of it, giving to us the benefit of his accumulated wisdom of the years. And now 
He stands before us almost at the conclusion. And what does he say? This man who has seen life. It's not the counsel of a man who's become soured by the vanity and emptiness of this world. Who's become bitter and disillusioned in his old age. Who begins with a list of don'ts. But it's such a positive word, isn't it? And that's what makes it so remarkable. But it's remarkable in another way. You remember how the book began in chapter 1, verse 5, with Ecclesiastes' review of the whole wearisome futility of life upon the earth, with the sun revolving in its endless repetitive rounds, and nature getting nowhere. And you would expect at the end of the book a similar kind of theme to be repeated once more. But the outlook is totally different here. That's what makes it so surprising and remarkable. As though he's saying, I've, I've surveyed the fragility of human life, but I'm not saying to you, hide your head in a corner and avoid all the hard knocks of life but go out and celebrate every hour that you're alive. Do you see what I'm saying? But you know it's more remarkable for another reason, and it's this. If you can possibly imagine this, and I know it's difficult, and I'm not being irreverent this morning, but if you can imagine that you are sitting on the green grass by the side of a lovely deep blue lake, and the day is idyllic, the birds are singing and the sky is blue and all nature is at peace and you are at peace. And suddenly, and this is harder for you to imagine, God comes and sits down next to you. And he says, I've only two words to speak to you today. And there's a silence. And you wonder what those two words are. And then God speaks and he says, enjoy yourself. Let me ask you, does that correspond with your idea of God this morning? How does what you know of him permit you to imagine that God would ever say to you, go out into my world and enjoy yourself to the full? And this is the biblical emphasis of this passage. You know, many people make the mistake, don't they, before we get into the passage. They make the mistake of indefinitely putting off the enjoyment of life. It's always in the future. We'll spend time now building for a distant day when we can really enjoy ourselves. And Ecclesiastes, beloved, reminds us that God himself is saying to us, now is the time to enjoy yourself. Happiness is for today, not tomorrow, which after all may never come for you. And the message of these verses, in spite of all the darker notes about the days of darkness coming and God bringing you into judgment, is rejoice. We need to ask why and how. And there are three things in these verses, 7 through 9 and 10. I want you to notice them. I wish we had more time to explore them. There are the sweet things of life in verse 7. Why am I to rejoice in my life 
whether it's tough for me or whether it's glorious for me, because there are many sweet things in life. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun, says Ecclesiastes. And it's a poetic way of saying, find beauty in every day that you live. Enjoy your life. See every day as a gift of God to you. My friends, do you know something of that? The sheer bliss of being alive. To open your eyes tomorrow morning, rubbing the sleep out of them, it may be, but saying, this is the day which the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. To open your eyes and see the sun is still there and your room is being bathed in the glow of the morning light. Have you ever thought how different it would be if life was conducted in total darkness? I remember a friend of mine in Scotland many years ago, a colporteur, a man who sold Bibles and Christian books around the villages and towns of northeast Scotland, telling me as a young boy how he had gone to the mining town of Musselborough and he'd stood there before the open mine shaft as the miners came out of the depths, out of the darkness, a darkness almost that can be felt around you with just the light of their headlamps illumining the coal face. And as they came up and out, he preached to them from the text here before us. Light is sweet and it is a pleasant thing for the eyes to see the sun. You see, what Ecclesiastes is saying is that in spite of all the tortuous ways of life that we've explored, all the twistedness, all the facts that have been bent out of shape by human sinfulness, that we wrestle with in a contorted way, so much of life is still sweet as the gift of God. And you remember how Scripture speaks in other places of many of those sweet things. Honey is sweet in Judges chapter 14. The word of the Lord is sweet in Psalm 19 verse 10. Human words can be sweet in Proverbs 16 verse 24. Sleep is sweet to the laboring man in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12. Romantic love is sweet in the whole of the Song of Solomon as God's gift to mankind. And even in a fallen world, we are to recognize every day is a gift. Thank you, Lord, for giving it to me. And you know, the beautiful thing is that as Presbyterians, Baptists can't do this. It's not in their hymn book. We can come in the morning and we can sing from our heart, this is my Father's world. And we can come in the evening and we can sing with equal conviction, this world is not my home, I'm only passing through. And we can enjoy all of what God has given us to the full. It's good to be alive today and to say it every day. 
But do you notice there's a second reason why we are to rejoice, and it's the span length of life, not only the sweet things, but the span length of life in the first part of verse 8. Look at it. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, what's he saying to us? Well, a very timely word in an age where so many people, the longer they live, the more disillusioned they become, don't they? The more hardened and bitter about the way that life is treating them. And they complain sometimes about its very length. Have you been in the presence of older people who are not the Lord's people? And their powers are decaying and their minds are no longer fresh and alert and their memories have gone. And all that you have is a sour puss attitude about life and its experiences. Not so here. Do you notice we are to rejoice over the span length of life that God is giving to us? Many years are mentioned. Clearly God's gift. Be grateful for them. Why? Every one of them is a blank page given to you by the gracious Lord on which you can write many things every day of the year. Whether you are younger or whether you are older. Whether the activities are the commonplace activities that take up so much of our everyday experience. Whether they are the extraordinary and wonderful and refreshing experiences of life. We are to enjoy every bit of it, so long as it lasts the commonplace, along with the extraordinary. And look you in verse 8, something still more wonderful. You can live many years and rejoice in them all. And it's the picture of the godly man or woman who's come to terms with the crookedness of this world, who's learned the lessons, you see, of all the preceding chapters and is putting them into place in his life, who is now in midlife and even old age, but is not sourpuss in his attitude, is thankful and is tasting the delights of God's good pleasures gratefully and is patient in the midst of all life's problems, and is submissive under all of life's hardships, you can live many years and rejoice in them all. In other words, you can have a youthful radiance even to the very end. Isn't that wonderful to find in Scripture? You can take your youth with its carefreeness, and its lack of consideration about the evils of life, that exuberance that rejoices in young strength and vigor. And Ecclesiastes says, you can maintain it to a degree through all of your life. There's no need to be embittered and hardened and surly and unthankful. And even the troubles of your body needn't rob you of these things. What a message, isn't it, for our age, for the geriatrics in our nursing homes, in our families, ourselves, as the aging process continues within us all. Now, you notice the third thing is that there is a special joy in youth. That's why we are to rejoice, beloved, in the midst of life, And that's in verse 9 at the beginning and in verse 10 at the beginning of that verse as well. 
Young man, says Ecclesiastes, I want you to bear special note. Now, it's very interesting because it indicates that this aged man expected young people to read his book. You young people in the service this morning, have you found this series boring? I hope you haven't. Because Ecclesiastes, as well as me, expects you to read his book. Young man, he says, you've been listening to me. I have a message very specially for you. Young woman, while you are young, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. You're living, in other words, in the midst of the richness of a heavenly Father's world. This is my Father's world, as we so often sing. And you're to explore it and to enjoy it and to discover it to the very fullest of your ability to do so. Now he says three things to you young people. And the first is, do make the most of it. You see, the scene is very similar to the scene among young people in our own age today. Evidently, as he looked at young people, he saw what we so often say when we come to a 14-year-old and we say to him, Tommy, how old are you? And instead of saying 14 years old, he'll say, I'm 14 and a half, nearly 15. And the problem with young people so often is this, isn't it? They can't wait to grow up. Now, if only they knew what was in front of them, they would want to stay young a lot longer. But that's the problem he's addressing here. And he's saying to them, don't think that way. Make the most out of youth while you'll have it. Do you wish you were growing up more quickly, that the adults have all the fun? Value your youth. Realize indeed that in many ways, scripturally, they are the best days of your life. And if you wanted scriptural confirmation for that statement, it's here in this passage. The day will come, young people, all too soon, when you'll want to evade the question, how old are you? Like the film star did, who was asked by Bob Hope, and she was a lady, how old are you? And she said, approaching 40, and he responded quickly, from which side? Because these years are passing, my dear friends, so speedily away. God has placed you in a fascinating world. Make the most of it. Now, the second word is this. Do all the things that you want to do. I read verse 9 to you. And to paraphrase what Ecclesiastes is saying would bring us to an amazing piece of counsel that simply would horrify some people, even in this service this morning. What does this old man say to these young people? Do whatever you want to do. Some of us, even here, are immediately horrified. I remember reading a number of years ago that a certain organization, a secular organization, was advertising for a leading youth worker, and two of the chief qualifications in hiring this man were as follows. That one, he must know what most young people want to do, 
and two, he must be able to stop them. But this is Ecclesiastes' advice. Do whatever you want to do. Enjoy your youth. Have a carefree life. Banish concerns away from you as long as you can. Be happy while you're still young. Follow your heart's desire. And the reason why he gives that advice, we're going to see, is when we come to the subject of reflecting in the midst of our years. But I want you to notice, it's the advice he gives. And the third piece of advice, very quickly, is this. Do remember, young people, that your youth is a passing phase of life. Look at the end of verse 10. Youth and vigor are meaningless. You see, while you're in the midst of enjoying this wonderful world that God has given, the gifts and abilities that he has given and using them to the full, you must remember that you cannot idolize youth. We're living in the midst of a society today that has idolized youth. It seems the only age span that is really worth living anymore is being young. And even young people, you know, idolize it. And they dread its loss. You pick up your paper, you see that absurd advertisement in our daily paper here in Jacksonville of the beautiful young lady who's got everything going for her. Highest marks at school, a college career before her. But she's mourning one thing. She wants a perfect body. How absurd. The idolizing of youth. A disastrous attitude. Because it spoils the gift, my dear friends, even while you've got it. It is a gift. But as in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, with every other gift that God has given, it is beautiful in its time, but not beyond it. And you are to recognize that, that God has made it beautiful in its time. But he does not plan that it continues for the rest of your life. Now what wonderful and well-balanced counsel this is. My dear friends, is that how you view life? To be the best that I can be for truth and righteousness and thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Now, the second piece of counsel is one we need, and I'm just going to touch on it far more briefly. It's reflect in verse 9 at the end. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Oh, you say, after that idyllic picture of God sitting beside me and saying to me, those two only words, enjoy yourself. Now there's a cloud in the sky. Now the songbird has seen the vulture there, and the song is followed by silence. But I don't want you to look at that verse in that way. It's not intended in that way at all. It's the second ingredient in making our life a stepping stone and not a stumbling block for eternity. Why? Because when God says to us, Go out and enjoy yourself to the full. He doesn't give us a carte blanche, an unrestricted license to do whatever we want to do. 
and never fear the consequences. It's one of God's warning signs that is positive in the midst of this glorious chapter. Years ago, as a student, I drove on the Alpine roads in Switzerland to attend a theological conference, and I remember those Swiss signs to this day that warned me of danger, a double bend, slow down, change to lower gear, a dangerous corner is ahead. And if I hadn't listened, I would have been over the precipice and down thousands of feet into the valley below. When God says enjoy yourselves, he doesn't give us open season in which everything goes. But here, as Derek Kidner says, is a verse which matches the delight of existence with its seriousness. And clearly, Ecclesiastes is not counseling a life of lewdness or rebelliousness against the standards of God's word, or lawlessness, or wickedness, or a wild, unrestrained state of living. These things are as much out of bounds for him as for any other writer of the scriptures. But what he's telling us, listen, your ways matter to God. Now, it's surprising, isn't it, having seen the rest of the book that seems to contain so much reflection of the vanity of life and its emptiness to come to a conclusion that says, your ways matter to God. For all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And beloved, in every activity that I engage as I enjoy this life that God has given to me, I have to say it does matter what I do and how I do it because God cares profoundly. And it also means that we have to relate our goals to God's assessment. When I remember that to walk in the ways of my heart and in the sight of my eyes is going to lead me one day before the judgment seat of the one who has created me, and he is going to say to me very solemnly in that day, I gave you your life, now give it back to me, and tell me how you used it. That consideration makes me assess now the goals of my living that I am working toward. You know, one of the tragedies of this age is this, isn't it? We live in a world that no longer feels a sense of accountability. And it would take the advice of Ecclesiastes without the warning sign that God has restricted by the side of the dangerous road. And the world has been led into a way of life that is trivial on the one hand and vicious on the other. And you know, the tragedy of this world ultimately is that the playboy who is so much lauded in this age ultimately turns out to be the most pitiable figure of all. And you only need to think of that tragedy in the life of Elvis Presley to see that. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every hidden thing whether good or evil, enjoy life.
but enjoy it responsibly. Now the third counsel, and I must draw quickly to a close. In chapter 12, verse 1 is to remember it's the third way in which our lives become stepping stones and not stumbling blocks. It's the key to understand the first two words of counsel that Ecclesiastes has given us to rejoice and then to reflect. Because you see, the person who is seeking biblically and responsibly to get the most out of life is the one who is putting his maker into life. Don't just seek to get the most out of life, says this man. Put your maker into it. And we could almost hear him echoing the first question of our shorter catechism, couldn't we? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is what? To enjoy himself? No. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why are we to remember our creator? Because youth is the easiest time to forget him. I've so many things to do, says this young person, perhaps in our church. I've no time for him. Perhaps when I get older, I'll have more time. And after all, he's a little bit of a spoil sport, isn't he? I can't have fun when he's around. And one of the reasons why this aged saint and man of God stands before you young people and says, not only rejoice and reflect, but remember your creator in the days of your youth, is that youth is the most vulnerable time to forget him. There's another reason. Growing older doesn't make it any easier. You only need to look, as we will do next Sunday morning, at verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12 to see the wretched old man who has no concern about his creator, no joy in life. He's become feeble in body. He's going steadily down into the grave. He's dying out at last. And that's the picture of what rejoicing in the ways of your heart and doing whatever is in the sight of your eyes comes to when you don't put God at the center of your enjoyment. But there's another reason that God is your creator, as Ecclesiastes tells us. And you know what that means. Life is not yours. It's his. You need to remember that, young people, all of us need to remember that. We're living on the king's lands, beloved. Breathing the king's air, eating the king's food, wearing the king's clothes, enjoying the pleasures that the king has provided for us with never a thought, it may be, of the king. And in spite of the fact that he has given us the maker's handbook that tells us how to manage the business of our lives. And in spite of the fact that the creator still has further plans that we know nothing about, we say a little later, but not now. How tragic. 
How tragic, how terribly tragic in that day when we stand before the judge of all the earth and hear his words, I gave you life. It's mine. Now give it back to me and tell me what you did with it. And so as I finish this morning, there's nothing, beloved, nothing more important in making life a stepping stone to eternity than putting your creator into it. You see, when you do that, you can live by the maxim of Augustine in the fourth century who said with great and glorious biblical abandon, love God and do what you like. And that's the secret of living life to the full. My dear friend, are you a stranger to that kind of viewpoint upon life this morning? I appeal to you, love the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him as your savior. Serve him as your captain and king. From the days of your youth onwards, there is no life like this life that enables you to enjoy and reflect and remember so long as you live. Do not wait until all that you have to offer him is the last half inch of the burnt out candle as it slowly edges into its socket. Do it now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And thus God in his amazing grace can make your life not a stumbling block, on the road to eternity, but a stepping stone into his presence one day. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, how we bless thee for this passage and all its encompassing counsel. Take it, we pray, and enable us, each one of us, to live in these dimensions of rejoicing and reflecting responsibly and remembering our Creator, not only in the days of our youth, but all our days, to the glory of God. Amen.